The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Well, good morning, church. Glad you guys are with us this morning. Uh, for those of you that are joining us online, welcome. We are so glad to have you with us this morning. Uh, my name is Michael Bingham. Uh, some of you know me as MD, and I am one of the elders here at Stone Oak, and I have the privilege to be with you this morning as we enter into the season of Advent. Now, when I say Advent, there are some of you that are here that probably know exactly what I'm talking about. You may have grown up in a church tradition or a family holiday where Advent was something that was celebrated every year. And if that's you, hold fast, because I'm guessing that there's another group here or online that when I say Advent... You may not really understand what Advent is, or your first thoughts might be to one of those countdown calendars where you open a little door every day from December 1st to the 25th, and if you're really lucky, there's a piece of candy in there. And I fall in between those two camps because I grew up in West Texas, and the church that I grew up in, as far as I can recall, we never had an Advent season. We never recognized Advent. And my folks are here, and they can probably confirm or deny that. But it wasn't until 2011 when my wife and I were attending a church in Dallas where we went through the first Advent series that I, I can ever remember. And it was during that time that I realized that Advent's not just a countdown calendar with some candy in it, but that Advent actually is the expected arrival of a person, thing, or an event. And historically, within the church, Advent was a time of prayer and of fasting and of heart preparation as we look forward to the return of the king. Now, as the church grew, uh, traditions became different around this time of year, Advent took on another meaning. We're not just going to look forward to the return of the king and those promises yet to be fulfilled, but we're going to look back at how God has already fulfilled promises to his people through the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So now we're not just looking back, but we get to look forward and over the next four weeks, as we study through hope, peace, love, joy, I want us to take time to remember how God has answered his promises and how God is going to continue to answer promises with the return of the king. As part of Advent, we're going to be lighting a candle once a week. And this first candle is the one that I get to speak on today and that is hope. Now, how many here know that hope is sometimes hard to hold on to? Especially if that hope has been misplaced. 
I think 2020, this year has been an eye opener for a lot of us who may not have realized just how misplaced our hopes have been. And I'd like to share a story with you from my own life about misplaced hopes and how in the midst of those, the Lord rescued me. In December of 2005, my family and I, that's my my parents and my sister, we packed up my apartment in Dallas, my little white car, and we headed northeast. In May of that year, I graduated from Texas A&M, and I started my first job in July. Now, what I didn't realize about this new job was it was really more of an internship or a long-term interview because part of my job required me to travel around the country and interview for a real job. And so I got to go to some exotic places. I went to Cincinnati and Columbus, Ohio. I went to a little town outside of Boston. And then I finally made my way down to the D.C. area where I was eventually hired. So that December, it was time for me to get there. And I remember when we got there, uh, we, I'd taken a couple days to find a place to live. Um, and if you're sitting there and you're thinking, you just heard me say I've moved 1,600 miles across the country without a place to live. Well, the answer, I was 23. And I thought, how hard was it going to be to find a place to live in a city like D.C.? Turns out, very hard and very expensive. Um, I had this hope as we're traveling across the country that I was going to find this great apartment. It was going to be in town because that's where people my age lived. That's where they worked. That's where they did life. That's where I wanted to be. That was my hope. But what I realized when I got there was if I were going to live in D.C., I was not going to be able to afford to eat. And when I say not afford to eat, I don't mean I was eating ramen noodles every night. I mean, I couldn't afford ramen noodles to eat. And so what that meant for me was I did not get to live where I wanted. I ended up living about an hour, hour and a half outside of D.C. proper. And as I'm looking at all of these apartments with my family all over the area, my dad came and he offered me some advice. And I say he offered me advice because my dad is a man of wisdom, but he doesn't force it upon you. He just kind of lays it out there and lets you take it, even if as a 23-year-old what you needed was him to just force it on you. And he said, son, look, you're looking at living over here, but your job is way over here. You, You realize you're going to be driving at least an hour each way. Why don't we look at apartments close to your office? And with the wisdom of a 23-year-old, and the humbleness, I looked at my dad and I said, Dad, you've never lived here. You don't know. I'm going to live over here because it's cheaper. I'm going to save some money. And so that's what I did. So I got this apartment and I had my, my mom and my sister were there and they were helping me unpack and they started decorating the apartment for me. And they decorated it in a way in which no 23-year-old guy would probably ever decorate an apartment. But they decorated it in a way that looked like a home. You see, my family, they already knew something that I was ignoring. 
And that was that I was soon gonna be alone in this place. And so my mom and my sister, they poured out their hearts so that when I would walk into that apartment, I would look around and I could be reminded that I had family that loved me. And so once that was done and it was time for them to go home, I drove them to the, uh, the, the airport. And, you know, I'm pretty sure I acted as if it was they were going away for a week. You know, I was like, I'll see you soon. I love you. No tears. I'll see you. And I drove back to the apartment. I drove past the exit to where my office was, uh, and I kept driving for another hour. And it was <laughs> one of the many times where I realized, man, Dad's smart. So much smarter than I am. And I got back to the apartment, and I'm waiting for this adventure to start. I was excited. I had these hopes, these desires. I was going to be successful. I was going to meet new people. I was going to find a church. I was going to get so plugged in. I was going to make all this money. It's my first job. And I was going to do all these things because I had talents. I had abilities. God brought me here for a reason. He brought me here because he wanted me to be successful. That was my hope. I don't know if you can hear it right now, but at this point in my story, in my life, my hope is in me. My hope's in my talents. My hope's in my abilities. My hope is I can do this because I can do it. Now, if you had stopped me on the street and you had said, hey, where do you, where do you place your hope? Well, my response would be, oh, it's in Jesus. I grew up in the church. I'd, I'd been walking with the Lord for years at this point. But if you had followed me around, if you'd listened to the way I talked, you'd begin to realize my hope was really in myself. And it wasn't going to be long before this hope started to be challenged and shaken and crumble. That understanding that my family had when they were decorating that apartment for me, something that I'd pushed into the back of my mind, I was ignoring, well, it became the reality that I lived in. The reality was I was alone. I was alone. I remember, little by little, the realization, I don't talk to people during the week at all. I would go days, sometimes weeks, with not having a real conversation face-to-face -face with another human being. I'd wake up in the morning, I'd drive my hour to work, I'd work all day, and that work consisted of primarily being on the phone sometimes, but really doing a lot of stuff on the computer, and then driving home. I was one of three people in my office. Uh, I was the only one that went to the office, and I think it had a lot to do with the fact that I didn't know what I was doing. And if a colleague happened to come in, uh, those conversations were superficial at best. And so my conversations were typically limited to talking to the gas station attendant or the grocery clerk. And I was alone. And it was my 
It was an eye-opening experience for me and very troubling for a couple of reasons. One, this was the first experience that I had that the world doesn't work the way that it always has worked. Things were not easy. And the second thing that I realized is I, I don't know how to meet people, really. I'm not as outgoing as I thought I was. I'm not as extroverted, some of you might say. I was racking my brain. I was like, why is this so hard, God? And I, I think, thinking back to high school and to college, man, I, I, I had friends. And the realization was I had friends because I already had friends. I had a safety net that I could fall back on. And I moved to a place without a safety net. And what do you do when you are struggling to meet people but you don't really know how to meet people? Well, for, for me, the feeling of aloneness just grew and began to feed upon itself. And, and just as an aside, as a, just like a short plug for Stone Oak, this is an example of why it's so important to us that you get involved with a community group. It's, I, listen, I'm so thankful that you're here this morning. Those of you that are logged on, Welcome. I'm glad you're here. But listen, being plugged in at a church does not end Sunday morning. We want you in a community group. We want you to be known. And we want you to know others. Because listen, you're never going to know how the Lord can use you and your story to impact and uplift others if you don't lean in. So that's my plug. I'm back here, I'm in D.C., and I'm, like I said, I'm struggling and I'm alone. And the only time that I'm not struggling or I'm not alone is if my friends or family call to check on me. At that point, things are great. Work's great. I'm busy. You know, I haven't really met anybody yet, but I think it's because I'm so busy. I'm working on it. Things are great, though. <laughs> and I put on this church face that I got it all together. I would refuse to admit that I was struggling refused to admit my hope was starting to fail and my hope is failing in this moment because all those friends I was going to make, that success I was going to have at work, getting plugged into a church, none of that was happening. None of it. In fact, it was the opposite. I was struggling at work. I was very lonely and I was just a face in a church. Nobody knew me. And so... Every few days when my mom or my dad would call and check in on me, I'd put on that church face that I got it all together, and I'd straight up lie to them for whole conversations. I was falling deeper and deeper into despair, and I was at a point in my life where I had already realized I'm someone that struggles with depression, but being in D.C., I began to realize, man, I'm just really good at hiding it. And so, as I'm desperately alone, the shame of the fact that I'm now lying to the two people that love me the most just adds this weight, and the hope that I have in myself to fix things is just crumbling It got so bad at one point, I remember I had the flu, and this is the first time I've ever been sick with my mom not being close to me. 
to take care of me. And as a 23-year-old guy, it's the end of the world when you're sick. And I remember being in this fevered state and just sitting there thinking, man, if something happens to me, no one's going to know. No one's going to miss me tomorrow. My parents might call and check on me, but they're not going to know. And it was in that moment that I start crying out to God. I was like, God, we got to fix this. We got to do something. We got to get me out of this hole, God, because if I stay in this hole, I can't claw my way out. I know that. I know, but I know I got to fix it. So God, let's, let's talk. I'm about four or five months into my time in the area, and I've been attending this rather large church in McLean, Virginia, and it was time shortly after my fevered epiphany that it was time in that church to sign up for community groups, for a home group. And guys, I was ecstatic. I was so, I was like, God, this is an answer to prayer. You know, it's been really hard. Um, the last few months, I've been depressed. It's been dark, but you've brought me here. God, I know you've brought me here for a reason. And now I get to get plugged in. Thank you. Thank you, God. I remember taking my registration form, and I walk down, and I turn it in, and they look at where I live, and they look at their registrations, and they look at me. Ah, oh, man, we're sorry. We're full. We don't have any openings. But, you know, we do this like every six months, so maybe if you come back in six months, we might have an opening. And so again, I put my church face on. Oh, cool. No, I, sure, not a big deal. And I uh, start walking back to my car, and as the door shuts, the tears start to fall. And I cry out to God, God, what did I do wrong? Why did you bring me so far from home and just abandon me here? God, why can't you just fix this? God, give me what I want. In Psalms 22, David, in a moment of anguish, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Like David, I was feeling alone and abandoned. And in my self-centered hope that my talents, my abilities, they'd failed me. And my hope at this point in life, it was so misplaced that when I was crying out to God, I was not crying out for God. I was crying out for his things. God, give me your stuff. I'll fix it myself. Church, when we place our hope on anything other than Christ, that thing, that person, it's inevitable that it's going to fail and me, in this time, my hope was fully on who I was and what I could do. And I failed. 
when I look back, I can see how the Lord had already begun to move and position things in my life long before I was broken in that church parking lot. And I think a lot of that had to do with my family. My mom, she is a prayer warrior. She's, she's one of those people that it doesn't matter what, what's going on. You want her to know so that she can be praying for you. And on top of that, she's a woman of discernment. You know, I don't think that my mom ever once really believed anything I said to her on the phone when I was in D.C., In fact, I believe that every time she got off the phone with me, she would hit her knees in prayer for me. My mom has always prayed for me. She still prays for me. But I don't think it would be a stretch to say that she prayed more fervently that year for me than the 22 years previous I know some of the things that my mother prayed for me because she shared those with me. She prayed that I would have patience, that I would have perseverance during a tribulation, a trial. She prayed that I would press into God and not run from him because she knows that's the only place true hope lies. And in that church parking lot, God began to answer her those prayers. Church, we've been studying through Romans the majority of this year. We're going to keep studying Romans next year, but I'm going to jump ahead a few chapters to Romans 12, 12, because in a year like 2020, a year like 2006 was for me, this is something that I think we need to hear In this section of Romans, Paul is laying out the true signs and markings of a true believer. And he says this, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. It's just three commands. Rejoice, be patient, be constant. In that church parking lot where I felt so broken, there was a long road still ahead for me. But as the Lord began to pull on my heart and realign my hope into who Christ is and what Christ has done and away from my self-centered strengths, my own abilities, God began to pour out his grace and his patience upon me. I found myself being able to stand more firm during this wilderness or trial in my life. I began to find things around me where I was able to rejoice in the knowledge of who Christ is and what he's done and the knowledge that God did not bring me to D.C. to abandon me. He brought me there for a purpose. But in the moment, it's a purpose I couldn't quite grasp or understand. I wish I could say that in the coming days and weeks and months from this this moment, this inflection point in my life, that I suddenly got plugged into a church. That I met all of these great friends that have been lifelong friendships. That I got really good at my job. But I didn't. 
I didn't get the things that I wanted. I didn't get the things that I thought, God, I need these things. What I got was more of Christ. I got an unshakable understanding that my God is with me even when I feel, when I feel alone. I think God allows us sometimes to look to our own strengths for a time so that we can understand just how incredibly weak we really are, how in need we are of a Savior. 2006 was incredibly trying for me. It was a dark, it was a despairing year, but in the end, it was joyous. It was hope-filled, and it was refining. When all the things that I had been turning to, all my own strengths, my own abilities, my own talents, when they'd all faded away, Christ was there with me. Fourteen years later, looking back, one of the things that I see the most in the way that the author of hope moved in my life is this. As a 23-year-old, I was desperately in need of God to strip away everything from me, to strip away my friends, my family, my talents, my comforts, so that I would have be able to hold nothing back and fall at the feet of the king. I can say this with confidence right now that if I had gotten everything that I set out to get, friends, money, getting plugged in at a church, getting all the comforts and things and the successes of the world that I wanted that year, if I had gotten those things, my hope would still be in me because I did it. If it had not been for a year of refinement by my king, my hope would be here and not in Christ. So my question is, where are you today? Where are you finding your strength? Where are you finding your hopes? Are they in yourself like they were for me? Are they in your abilities? Are you feeling alone or abandoned during this crazy year, this time of isolation, this time of social distancing? Are you feeling abandoned? I would wager that 2020 is vastly different than what any of you hoped for back in January. This year has brought with it a level of anxiety, uncertainty, and fear, the likes of which I can't really recall. I can look back at my own life and say, yeah, 2006 was similar. I felt, I felt hopeless. I, I, I was trying to do everything on my own. I was trying to fix all the problems I was seeing. 2006 was similar for me. I can't remember a year, though, where the entire world has sat under a fog of fear and anxiety and hopelessness. 
When I volunteered to speak on hope last November with the elders, I thought this would be an easy thing to talk about. 2020 was going to be awesome, right? There were so many things we were looking forward to. The Olympics, right? I, I couldn't have known just how in need of Romans 12, 12 we would be. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. And be constant in prayer. This year I need hope, church. I need to rejoice in true hope the way I needed true hope 14 years ago. I think as a people, we're in a similar spot that I was in where we're looking to ourselves to fix what's going on. Our own abilities, our own efforts, our own strengths. Church, we need our hope focused on Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. The one who can give us true hope. This Christmas season, like every other Christmas season, we're going to be surrounded by phantoms and shadows of hope. We're going to sing songs. We're going to watch movies that at the end, everything works out. It's perfect. I'm guessing that some of us here, we have a hope that this Christmas is going to be different. It's going to be better. It's going to be perfect. Our kids, they're going to sing our praises over the gifts that we give them long past New Year's Day. That new thing, that new shiny thing, is there's no way it's going to get boring after December 27th. That family member that, for whatever reason, just makes everyone's life miserable during the holidays, they're going to wake up Christmas morning they're going to gather you all together, and they're going to apologize. They're going to say, that's my fault. But when our Christmas morning ends in an argument, and we look around at our family, and we realize the hope that we had that this Christmas was going to be different is broken, where are we going to turn? Are we going to turn to another phantom hope 2021, that'll, that's, that'll be better. <laughs> no way it's going to be as bad as this year. That, 2021, that's the year I'm going to get the job. I'm going to get the promotion. I'm going to fill in the blank. Are we going to continue to look toward others and things to give us hope? As believers... We are those that have true hope. We have hope that was fulfilled on a dark night in Bethlehem when Christ Jesus was born into this world. A hope that began in Genesis 3. Right after Adam and Eve had sinned, but before God proclaimed his punishment on man and woman, God gave us a glimpse of hope. In verse 15, he said, Speaking to the serpent, I'm, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. God gave us hope that a Savior was coming in the midst of our sin and failures. 
And then the rest of the Old Testament is full of hope and how that hope becomes more and more precise through the promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then from Jacob's son, Judah, through whom the line of David was established. And then to the prophecies of Isaiah, where God for the first time promised that this coming Savior was not just going to be a man, but it was going to be God in the flesh to come save his people. Isaiah 9, 6 says, For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Later, Isaiah offers these depictions in chapter 53 of the Christ, and he says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, and like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before it shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Church, God did not forget his promise of hope. He was constantly reminding his people of the coming Messiah and how that promise was fulfilled through the birth of Jesus Christ. You may be sitting there like I was and you're saying, God, where are you? During this time of isolation and pandemics and everything else, God, where are you? Why have you left me here alone? Church, God does not move at the speed of you. He does not move at the speed of me. Remember, God was silent to his people for 400 years before Christ was born. But listen, he wasn't absent. Sometimes when God moves, it's in a way that doesn't make any sense to us because from our perspective, he's not moving. But know this, he hasn't gone away. And if you're here this morning, if you're joining us online, and you say, you know, I don't really have the hope that you're talking about, but I long for a hope that's true, a hope that can be relied upon. Hey, come, come see us after, after the service. Grab me, grab one of the other pastors. We would love to talk to you about our true hope. But if you hear nothing else this morning, hear this. Our hope is in the God who sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross, to save us from a punishment we rightly deserved, and to give us an eternity that we could never earn. Our hope is eternal, and it's sealed by the Spirit until the Christ returns. And as we, as we begin to close, my heart, my prayer for you guys, for this church during this Advent season, as we, as we look back at God's fulfilled promises and as we look forward to the return of our King, that in all things 
we would rejoice in hope. Whatever that looks like for you to rejoice, that you would worship our King. That you would be patient in tribulation. Church, in a year like 2020, God, give us patience. I learned that year in D.C. that sometimes in the midst of tribulation, that's when God is at work on me the most. And listen, I can't rush God when he's determined to accomplish something. And hear this. Just when the trial is over, it does not mean that you're going to get everything you want or the things that you think you need. But what you're going to get is more of Christ. Be constant in prayer. Church, set aside time to pray. Pray with your spouse. Pray with your kids. If you don't have a spouse, you don't have kids, and you got roommates, pray with your roommates. Join us. We have a monthly prayer gathering. Join us. Spend time on your knees before the king. I want to read just one last verse from Romans 15, 13. Paul writes this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this season of Advent where we get to look forward to the return of your son Jesus. And Lord, that we get to be reminded in how you brought him into this world to save us. Lord, I pray that you are with us today. Lord, that you are with those that are listening. And if there are any here, Lord, that are longing for your hope, that you would work and that you would begin to move in their hearts, Father. Lord, I pray that these next few weeks as we study through peace and love and joy, Lord, that we would not lose sight of what your Son has done. Lord, I thank you that you offer true hope. I thank you for your Son, Jesus. Be with us as we leave this place. It's in your son's name. Amen.